This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. One of the topics that I discussed with you last week, I thought this would be an interesting test of the maturity level of this year's group of Steelers. And I'm not talking about the the off-the-field stuff. I'm not talking about posting things up on Facebook or driving 100 miles an hour. I'm just talking about the emotional maturity of a football team. Because there are going to be games like this. Once in a while, you'll get a game like Carolina. But once in a while, you're going to get a game like this where you're not playing your best. The other team is playing their best. And can you find a way to dig one out, to grind one out? And that's what they did. Frankly, initially, it answered my question. Everybody understands that even though they've been tremendous on the road, 11-0-1 now in their last 12, we know that there have been games against and I'll use the term inferior. I think, you know, Jacksonville's got some excellent talent. They just happen to be an inferior team. Coming off a huge win against Carolina, even with the extra time off, I'm not going to use the term trap game. Steelers knew what was ahead of them. Jacksonville may be looking at that game as not necessarily a step back to the playoffs. That'd be a real reach. But... It was a game where they could salvage some pride and at least say, okay, we're going to finish. We think we're better than what our record says at 3-6. and six. We think we're better than to have a five-game losing streak. We think we've got some elements on our team we can rely on. And we're going to try to salvage something beginning right now, beginning today, meaning yesterday. The Steelers were not of the same mindset. When you get pushed around like that physically, and let's be honest, they got hammered physically through virtually three-quarters of the game, you're not prepared to play mentally. It's not only X's and O's execution. It's a matter of being razor-sharp, focused. When I see teams missing tackles, and certainly when I see Physical players being bullied about tells me they're not ready to play. Especially when you consider what happened to them in the two games last year against Jacksonville and factor this in there too. Jacksonville obviously is very disappointed in their season. I mean, they're in the AFC Championship game. Now they've lost 7 of 10 and 6 in a row. Let's remember, they started out 3-1. and one. And Yeah, they've had some injury issues. Their offensive line is decimated. And they probably weren't as good or aren't as good as they were last year, but you saw their defense play. They've got some people you'd like to have on the Steelers team, to be honest with you. Maybe you don't want another big mouth. 
that either Boye or certainly Ramsey would look good on the corner opposite Joe Hayden. The thing that was bothersome to me is that it looked a great deal like the games last year. The ability to run the ball, both games last year, certainly the regular season game, and the turnovers. It almost looked like a repeat. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Is that that's not the Peter principle? What is that? Is that Boyle's law? Murphy's law. Murphy's law. What it can go wrong will go wrong, and it was. I mean, it looked like a repeat of some of the games that we not only saw last year against Jacksonville, but some of the games, and it happens to a lot of teams. You come out. I mean. Tampa Bay beat New Orleans for crying out loud. And it looked a lot like that. Sometimes we have a tendency to just look through the prism of the Steelers. But I also have to say that Jacksonville, there was a reason for what was going on. I think you look at the Steelers, they were not ready to play and hit and be hit. And this was against a Jacksonville offensive line that ultimately was down to one starter, one original starter, because they lost the right guard during the game. They were already without the center. This is their fourth left tackle. The guy they used yesterday, Eric Flowers, has wilted since the day entered the league. Terrible. And yet what were they doing? They were pushing him around. We're going to get to the defensive changes in the next segment. But I also have to say that one of the problems that the Steelers had offensively is the coverage was excellent. You can't always tell on TV, but the replay show what Jalen Ramsey was doing to A.B., and Ben was trying to force the ball to him. And we've seen that before, have we not? But I made a note during the game, where are the other wide receivers? And there are two things involved here. The Jacksonville secondary blanketed not just A.B., but everybody. There there just wasn't anybody open. Oh, I mean, on occasion there was. And Ben was way off, way off. Simple out patterns, little dump-offs. High, low, outside. It's like Tyler Glasnow. I mean, you never knew where the ball was going to end up. (laughs) Sorry, Tyler. Probably win 25 in Tampa next year. And part of the reason for that was Ben was having a bad day, but also the Jaguars were getting a really good rush. Forget the sack total. I think there were two. But they were moving Ben off his mark, or he was just throwing under duress. I mean, the interception by Jalen Ramsey in the end zone against Antonio Brown was a brilliant play by Jalen Ramsey. But if you think about it, Ben was about to be hit. Got thrown off his back foot. And while, yes, the offense won the game, it was the defense that put him in position to do so. By holding them to field goals, with one exception, 
and by turning the game around to the point where the offense finally got on track. 412-922-2874, pound 970. The sarcastic sword joins us. Hello, sword. You know, it was ironic that that first half, you know, with three and outs continuously, Ben did get the defensive break, and that's when he threw this, that interception in the middle of the field. To, I think it was the Rams that had to be reviewed. It took about two or three minutes to review it. I think that's the only breath that the uh, that the defense got, uh, <laughs> ironically. but um, I think know, the first first down, I made a marker, I think it was like 525 to go in the second quarter. It's, unbeli- it it yeah, was unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable! I haven't seen a game like that. Uh, I don't know when. When, like you said, Ben was was so far off on, on just the short stuff. But a couple things. Uh, number one, I do got to say it was uh, a good job once again, penalty wise. Uh, I know that's uh, not the greatest thing that happened yesterday, but the penalty, our penalties were kept to a minimum, and they certainly cut the throat of the uh, the Jaguars. I I thought that. Uh, uh, McDonald's catch, you could almost take a film of his catch uh, against the uh, Panthers and put it over this film. And I mean, it was almost an identical catch. It's really a very athletic grab by, by McDonald. Great, great to have him there. Let me you add know, one thing about that. I, we don't talk about that enough because we are going to talk about Juju um, in the next hour uh, and some of the things they finally got going. But the touchdown pass to McDonald was critical because. Um, they were able to get that touchdown with 2.28 to play in the half. If they're out there fooling around and have to use a couple more plays, uh, now all of a sudden, you know, maybe you don't get the advantage of having that two-minute warning to help out your defense to get the ball back. Tomlin was able to save all three timeouts in that point. Or if you don't score a touchdown there, you know, maybe you have to kick a field goal there. Um, you know, because you're, you know, you're, you're 10 points down. Um, that was a huge, huge play by McDonald. Yeah. And speaking of that in the clock, you're talking about how, how similar it was ironically to the playoff game where instead of kicking off, we went with the onside kick was pretty much the same situation, almost identical when you think of it, except for, I know that the, the Steelers had held uh, the Jaguars on their previous three, you know, uh, three and outs, they, they really stuffed them where they didn't in the playoff game. But gosh, I was thinking of the playoff game. And if you tried that and perhaps gave the defense one more chance to stop them, you made a, might have had a similar result possibly. But that, you know, that's water over the dam. I, I hope Connors, uh, fortunately, went in the game without losing it because of, uh, uh, some drops by corners will uh, go a long way to helping him in his, you know, in his uh, uh, getting more experience here as to how little things mean so much and just turning away from a simple little path could have drastic results. But last thing, Stan, and fortunately, you kind of remember the last thing you did, I guess, when you leave a room and, and the defense really came on strong in the offense. Uh, although it was like getting punched in the chest when Ben threw that interception in the end zone, it would have nullified everything without the penalty to yeah. switch there. But uh, fortunately, they'll remember some good things about the last 10 minutes of that game. And uh, uh, boy, that's one to, to really think about putting in your pocket and uh, might think about again down the road here if they get to go somewhere. That was, that was quite a uh, ending performance. A lot of drama. 
Uh, very exciting. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about the, the potential effect that may have on this team and, you know, banking on some experience in past games that I've seen and how it's affected teams. We're going to talk about that um, in, in the second hour because I do think that um, it, it's, it's valuable what they were able to do. I, I really do. Could have yeah, look, long-term effect positively. Look forward to hearing that. All right. Thank you, Sword. Thanks, thanks Dan. All right. Take care. Take care. Don't forget, Tunch will be joining us at 1240. Uh, in about 20 minutes or so from now, Mike Lang at 1 o'clock, Penguins um, in some trouble. Uh, can they bounce uh, back? Um, they got more than three quarters to bounce back from. We'll talk to Mike uh, about that. Uh, the defense, uh, again, the offense, quote, won the game, but they're not in position to do that unless the defense allows them to do that, enables them to do that. There had to be some adjustments there. The ones I noticed, we'll get to some of your comments as well, 412-922-2874, pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Saverin on Sports, or tweet at Stan Love the Show. It's Saverin on Sports on your home of the Steelers and Pens, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. They will go for that. He is met right away. Tip the cap to our defense. Um, they were put in some tough situations. They were out there a lot of snaps. And um, they didn't blink. And uh, they held the forward until our offense got going. And then obviously with seven, you got a chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Scott tweets and says the defense deserves big credit. They lived on the field for what it felt like forever, yet they held the Jags to field goals, but one touchdown gave us a chance to get it together with an unreal finish. There's no question about that. You know what the time of possession was uh, in the first half, 22-plus to 7-plus. The Steelers were even in the second uh, half. Here's, Here's an idea. All right, so... After the Steelers forced Jacksonville to punt in their first two possessions, the Jags had three consecutive field goals. One of them was set up by one of Roethlisberger's interceptions. But they did have a 69-yard drive. That's one where they ran and they ran and ran. So three field goals in a row. After that point, midway through the second quarter, late in the uh, second quarter, actually, Here were Jacksonville's remaining possessions. Punt, punt, then halftime, then punt. Then they did have the 80-yard touchdown drive. After that, it was punt, 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 and then the sack fumble by T.J. Watt, five seconds, Hail Mary. There's no question that the defense – was successful on two fronts. Number one, they held the Jaguars to field goals. Now, look, let's be honest, as someone posted, not to take anything away from the Steelers, but the Jaguars, here's Skip, not taking anything away from the Steelers, but it helped the Jaguars one-dimensional with a quarterback their coaches obviously don't trust. Borles has no future in Jacksonville, probably anywhere else. Uh, not in his defense. I mean, th- that's all right on target. He doesn't. He doesn't have any weapons. I mean, he's got Fournette. He doesn't have a decent wide receiver. 
They they let Mercedes Lewis go. The guy they signed uh, is hurt. They, they, four-string tight end. I mean, look, Bortles is bad. But I do think that's a, that's a critical element. And that's why I want to talk about the adjustment that the Steelers' defensive coaches made. I'm assuming it's Butler. I'm assuming it's Tomlin. Whether it's Porter, whether it's Tom Bradley, whomever. I thought that one of the elements to the success that Jacksonville had running the ball in the first half and a little bit in the second half early was the Steelers were run blitzing. And that's fine because once in a while, yeah, you'll get a guy through and you'll get a tackle for a loss in the backfield. But what you do more often than not is open up lanes. If you've got someone run blitzing, not just a linebacker, but shooting the gap, if that gets blocked, you're opening up lanes, you're opening up angles. And I thought the Steelers, A, were getting physically punished, and B, were being punished for the run blitzes. I thought, for the most part, they stopped doing that in the second half which led to the second adjustment they made. I'm sure you noticed. They began playing a three-safety defense. They brought in Jordan Dangerfield with mostly Cody Sensabaugh taking a seat on the bench. Not to punish him or penalize him or they wasn't playing badly, but what they were saying is basically... You can't hurt us with the pass. We're not worried about it. Go ahead. Make my day. If you were watching the television broadcast, and oftentimes this stuff is meaningless, but if you heard the sideline reporter, Tracy Wilson, when she talked to both head coaches, she said that Tomlin said, we got to do a better job of stopping the run. Duh, yeah. He said, because every time they pass, we're killing them. They made a conscious decision. They can't hurt us with the pass. Oh, they threw a couple, you know, checkdowns and screens to Fournette, but we're talking about down-the-field passing. And the defensive staff made the determination they can't hurt us with that. So, okay, instead of two corners, we're going with three safeties. Jam the box. Go ahead. Throw. It's also one of the reasons why they didn't go onside. After the Vance McDonald touchdown, because they felt, as they'd been doing the entire second half, that they would stop them. And they did. And amazingly enough, they still had a timeout remaining when they scored the touchdown. I'll be honest, I didn't like the call. On Ben's touchdown, you're a foot away, I'm running the ball, but maybe they were kind of spooked because they hadn't run the ball all day long. They had worked. But I think those defensive adjustments give the coaching staff credit. 
and also give the offensive staff some credit because, as I said earlier in our previous segment, all right, so Jalen Ramsey has taken A.B. out of the game, or he did for a good portion. Where's everybody else? Well, rather than continue to do the same thing over and over, what did they do? They moved Juju around. I think they should do that more often. I realize that last year Juju was a slot guy because Martavis Bryant was on the outside. And this year, he's gone, so Juju went outside. But when they used three wide receivers, they moved Juju inside. And he's, he's great there because of his size, his toughness. But I got to say this. I'm, he Probably many game balls. I'm giving one to him because, to me, he's a mismatch for most cornerbacks. He's bigger. He's stronger. He can jump, and he makes combat catches. I think they ought to use him outside more often than they do because I think he's a nightmare for a corner. Safeties are bigger. They can handle the physicality of it. I'm not so sure the cornerbacks can. And you saw the two catches Juju made. They were huge. The 35-yarder that got in the 28, that was huge. I know that Ben hit A-B for 25 down to the two, but once Juju caught that 35-yarder, you knew that you were going to at least be in field goal range. Then you had to rely on Boswell. And, oh, by the way, Did you feel as I did? What's the first thing that happened in the game? Raise your hand. Boswell kicks off and slips and falls on his butt. And I'm thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. It's a bad omen. It's like when Marc-Andre Fleury uh, at at Joe Louis Arena. Remember he fell down in the Stanley Cup final? Boswell slips and falls down. This can't be good. Let's go to Matt in Cannonsburg. Hi, Matt. Hey, Stan. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Love the show. Thank you. Hey, I just wanted to say, you know, teams are going to lay, lay eggs throughout the season, and, and unlike teams of the past few years, it's on a way to win, and uh, that's what championship teams do. I couldn't agree uh-huh. with you more. We're going to talk about that in the second hour. I mean, I think you know what, Matt? I, I think that this is going to have, um, a, uh, I shouldn't say definitively, this could have a very lasting effect on this team going forward. I agree. I think it did a couple things that, other than the win column, it uh, it avoids them having to answer questions about whether Le'Veon Bell's situation caused a distraction all week, and especially James Conner, because that drop pass, if they don't win the game, he's going to hear a lot of crap about it. Yep. And I think now it's a little bit forgotten. Secondly, it puts them in position where even if they don't get a bye, I think they're much more likely to be able to rest against Cincinnati since they lost as well. Um, so you, you, you kind of get that uh, situation where you can get some key guys some rest. And uh, I just think it was a, a huge boost of confidence for these guys. And, and the defensively, while they were getting gashed for 10, 20 yards, they weren't giving up the 40, 50, 60-yard runs like they've done uh, to, say, Jacksonville last year um, and some other teams. And uh, that's kind of what the Patriots have done over the years. Even when they're not real good defensively, they don't give up the huge plays. They give up the, the, the medium, you know, medium range runs. Now, and, I, uh, I fully uh, recognize that this Jacksonville offense is severely limited. I mean, they're, they're bad. Um, but um, when you stop and think, I don't think anybody would argue that this defense 
since the Atlanta game, which began the six-game winning streak, has been pretty good. And not everybody they've played has been Jacksonville. I mean, they played a good Atlanta offense. They played a good Cincinnati offense. They certainly played a good Carolina offense, despite the fact they lost again yesterday. I mean, it's getting better. As I've said before, Matt, uh, it's not the steel curtain, and it's not going to be the defense of 2008, but they're getting better. They're, they're, they're playing much better football and now are a reasonable compliment to an offense that had an off day yesterday, but we know that this offense is more than capable of lighting up the scoreboard. I'd like to give Mike Tomlin some credit because he takes a lot of flack. They have not taken many penalties, and, and the yep. first part of this year, was, it was unwatchable in most of their games because penalties on both sides of the ball. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for that. I would like to know if somebody could ask him in the press conference, what benefit he sees in not taking the time out before the two-minute warning? I don't know what the benefit is in that situation. Uh, I thought about that, too, 214, 215. Uh, I would have taken the time out. Uh, but I, I really think that he thought that th- they were going to go three and out. Uh, he really felt they were going to go three and out, and he wanted to give Ben a timeout in his pocket. Uh, because yeah. if, if he calls it there – um, then he's going to have to use up most likely, most likely the other two. And I think, and it, it turned out, of course, that they still had the timeout in their pocket when Ben scored the touchdown. But what if he doesn't get in? Yeah, he would have needed well, that I, timeout. I think he could have he could have taken taken it on first down or after first down. Let the let the um, two minute warning catch second down. Take it on third down and then still have one left in his true. pocket. It's true. Um, wow. I, I mean, it's true. I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same but thing. The guy gets a lot of flack, and I hope the city realizes how good a coach we have, and uh, their discipline has been much, much better recently. Let me give you a quickie before I go to a break, and we're going to bring Tunch on. Um, in the first three games this year, the Steelers committed 37 penalties in the first three games. Since then, they have committed 40 in the next seven games. Yep. Pretty good. And they – but I don't think they had one against uh, um, Carolina until uh, Artie Burns had one. Yeah, that, that was the only one, and that came very late, and it didn't matter. Well, love the show, Stan. Thanks for all you do for the city. Well, my pleasure. Believe me, it's, it's, my, it's my privilege and honor. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Tunch will join us next. Um, he'll get his thoughts on the game and some of the adjustments the Steelers make. That's next, Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. <laughs> The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Now Ben goes shotgun with wide side to his left. Antonio Brown is out that way. Brown held the one catch so far. Connor to his left in the gun. Snap. Ben back. Fires it for the end zone. Intercepted. Intercepted in the end zone. And that is Jalen Ramsey who took it away from Antonio Brown. Oh, I mean, it's just one of the areas that Ben is really good at, you know. So I think everybody always talks about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and whatnot, and they always forget that there's a quarterback in Pittsburgh that, that, that loves these situations and has got a lot of confidence in, in the way he plays football. Uh, his teammates love him and support him, and the offense is, um, you know, centered around his leadership, which has been phenomenal this year. That is Alejandro Villanueva talking about his quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, who led the team back from victory when the defense gave him a chance. Andy tweets, is there any stronger argument for MVP for Ben than yesterday? 
When he was rotten through three quarters, the Steelers were rotten. When he turned it around, took the team on his back to the, in the fourth, they were a completely different team. Yeah, a lot of factors went into that, but again, the defense gave him a chance to do that. We're joined now by Tunchilkin, who was there and witnessed it firsthand. Tunch is brought to us by Calusi Chevrolet. How are you, Tunch? I'm great, Stan. How about yourself? Doing fine. Uh, last segment, I was talking about the defense, and I'm wondering, uh, it seemed to me that the Steelers were engaged in a lot of run blitzes, which can get you into trouble. Um, right. They seemed to do it less in the second half, and was that the factor, or was it adding the third safety as opposed to a corner? That was the main factor in stopping that run. Well, I think the the third safety was a big part of it because when you know when they come in with two tight ends and a fullback and a tailback, you know, you you bring your uh, bring your big big guys in, and I think that you know at times uh, we saw Jordan Dangerfield come in, and I think you know early in in, in the game you were right uh, they ran some blitzes and they ran a lot of twists, and uh, you could see in the first half times where guys were running by the ball carrier and the ball carrier cutting it back. And so in the second half, I think they played it more honest uh, and just had everyone play a little more aggressive. The linebackers were playing downhill a little bit more. You know, a couple times they ran the fire racks to the opposite side, and it just so happened that uh, that, uh, uh, Leonard Fournette did a great job of seeing it and cutting it back to the backside, and there was was nobody there because of the twist. And... uh, so, yeah, I think they, they started playing it more honest. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm watching it right now. Uh, uh, I'm in the third quarter, and, you know, they, they're all, all of a sudden it, they're tightening it up. And, you know, they did tighten it up when they got inside the 10 anyways. Yep, holding them to the three field goals. That's huge right. as much as anything else. Um, the, 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 the third safety, as opposed to the cornerback, um, were you surprised that it was Dangerfield as opposed to um, either Morgan Burnett or uh, Terrell Edmonds? And does where does that third safety line up? Is he in the middle of the box? How does that well, work? No, well, uh, Jordan Dangerfield was not in the middle of the box. He was playing, lining up at the corner on the tight end. Uh, but so he's reading the tight end. And as soon as he sees the tight end blocking, he's he's getting into run support. He's he is also now now he's playing downhill, um, and so uh, and, you know it was, a, it was a great scheme. I don't know how many times Rodney played. I I, I need to uh, uh, chart it a little bit more. But when Rodney, I mean Jordan, uh, when he when he played, uh, he was uh, right in the mix, and I think that you know uh, collectively they just tightened it up. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's what you have to do. And, you know, they did a great job of, uh, of in the fourth quarter, just, I think the last five, uh, drives were three and out, three and out, three and out, and then sack strip and fumble. Um, so, uh, it, it took them a while to get in a defensive groove, but they finally got it into it in the fourth quarter. And that, uh, that changed the game because it gave the offense a chance uh, to put points on the board. I'm wondering if they – I'm thinking about a comment that Mike Tomlin made to the CBS sideline reporter <clears throat> coming out for the second half, uh, and he said, we've got to obviously do a better job of stopping the run. He said, but every time they go to pass, we're killing them. And yeah. I, I wonder if the brain, the defensive brain trust said, 
<laughs> we're going to say, go ahead and throw. We don't think you can. We don't think you can beat us with a throw. Um, and we're just going to shut you down the run. And if you can beat us throwing, God bless you. Good luck. Right. That, that's uh, a great point, Dan. I mean, that's what they did. Uh, they're saying, we're, you know, they were daring them to throw. And, and look, when you watch Blake Borders on films, you know he's not going to go deep. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't know how many deep balls I've, of all the film I've watched this past week. It's all inter, it's all short, intermediate stuff, checkdowns, flare passes, screens, bubble screens, shallow slants, quick posts. It would, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I saw any uh, any throws downhill. Maybe a couple uh, down the field rather. And the other thing that uh, Blake Bortles, uh, I think, you know, has he has struggled with is the play action pass, and I think part of it is because they haven't run the ball. With Leonard Fournette uh, uh, playing, uh, you know, just getting back last week against uh, Indy. But one of the the things that I've noticed when he runs the play action pass, I don't think Blake Bortles is comfortable with his back to the defense because if you watch him, he doesn't carry out his uh, fakes uh, like some quarterbacks, and you see that he's trying to get his head around as quickly as possible. I don't know that uh, he's worried about getting hit, but I think what he's worried about is seeing the coverage and seeing the route combination. I don't think he sees very clearly with his back to the quarterback and or with the back with his back to the defense rather. I think he's much better at seeing the coverages when he's in shotgun and uh he is looking towards the defense. Um but but to be honest with you, he's not taking any shots downfield and uh uh, his play action passes have been terrible, and you know uh, the reason that uh, Jacksonville couldn't win that game is because they 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 couldn't Blake Bortles uh, cannot carry the day. Uh, undoubtedly, um, he doesn't have many weapons either uh, in the pass yeah. game. I mean, he just, they just, I mean they they just don't. Um, Juju uh, Ben was talking about on the thirty five yarder, um, which set them up at the twenty eight yard line, put them in position. So they started moving him around a little bit. Um, uh, I think he's a tremendous mismatch for any corner because of how big he is, and he can jump right. and he can get combat catches. Um, what did What did you see that the, when they began to move Juju around? What happened there? Well, you know, it's just one of the things that he is so physical. Like if he's in motion, you're not going to be able to get jam jam on him. Uh, and they did a lot of different stuff with him. They lined them up at the slot. They lined them up at split end. You know, they, they moved them around. And, uh, you know, I think Ben has tremendous confidence in Juju. And so he's going to, and he's going to give him. And, and, you know, Juju reminds me of Anquan Bolton. Uh, he plays wide receiver like a running back. He's very strong. He's very physical. He doesn't, he doesn't get knocked off his route when someone tries to jam him. And uh, when he goes up in the air to high point the ball, he's, he has a great sense of timing, and, and that's why he comes down with the ball. And, and, and I think what we're seeing, and it, it's not so much uh, moving him around as much, although that's part of it, but also Ben's confidence in him and throwing it up on a back shoulder, knowing with confidence that Juju's going to go up and get it. And the last thing, <clears throat> Tunch, when, when you're involved uh, in these kinds of, really, from the abyss, the, you know, the, I don't know if they use the word abyss when you're talking about football games, but they were on the abyss, down 60, nothing, nothing was working. And you come back, um, and I got to say this on the postgame show, I got a great tweet, Charlie and I got a great tweet 
Um, somebody tweeted out to at Jacksonville Police Department, I want to report a theft. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really funny. The, yeah. You know, um, what does that mean to a team, not only to win a game like that, but now going forward? I once asked Mike Tomlin this, and I'll talk about this. Uh, ben did one of these comebacks, and I said, does that resonate with the team? He said, absolutely. He said, if we get in this position again, they will know that they can do this. Yeah, you know, it is th- that kind of win, Stan, is a catapult victory. It catapults you in uh, into uh, the elite teams of the National Football League, and when you come out of a game with that kind of win, you you know you feel ten foot tall and bulletproof. And and the one thing about Ben, and I said this all during the broadcast, I said, listen, uh, he can pull himself out of it. Most quarterbacks they play like that. You, you can see it in their eyes; um, they're done. But Ben is not like that. He never loses confidence, and he always keeps pressing. And you know that he can turn it around. And so throughout the broadcast, I go, he's going to bring him back. He's going to pull himself out of this. He's going to break out of this slump, out of this funk. And he did just that. And he uh, and, and and what that does is it gives your offense, your line, your receivers, your running backs confidence. You say, man, we could beat anybody. And you can. And so that's, that's going to take them to the next level, I believe, going forward. All right. Well, the next level is a high level in Denver, Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> Tunch, thank you so much. Always enjoy the conversation. Um, don't forget Tunch and Wolf each day, 10 until noon, and, of course, on the broadcast Sunday from Denver. Thanks, yeah. Tunch. Take care. Thanks, Dan. Okay, there he goes. Tunch joins us every Monday after Steeler Games. He's brought to us by Calusi Chevrolet.